Contraston Club, yeah, you know that's us. Where we only speak the real and the real rock with us. Where we motivate the people and the politics on success. Oh no, we ain't DJ Kelly, but they swear we the best. What's happening? It's Contrast Uncut. It's season four, the big premiere. Man, big shout outs to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. It's your host, Zylo, aka DJ Juan Dollars, like I won some money. Ladies and gentlemen, today we got an incredibly dope special guest. He's out the Bronx, New York. He's a two time Emmy Award winning sports broadcaster television personality, talk show host, and author. He's the owner and operator of the production company Thrill of Entertainment and author of Open Mic. This brother has an incredible journey thus far to go from local newsroom to ESPN News to host of Sports Center, NFL Live, Baseball Tonight, NBA t- Tonight, to Hyperdrive, to America's Pregame, to currently the host of the Mike and Donnie show on Fox Soap. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, it's all good. We got all episode to chop it up with Mike Hill, everybody. How you doing, brother? What's up, Zylo? What's going on, my brother? Good to see you, man. Oh, bro, I'm blessed. I'm honored to get another opportunity to chop it up with you without five, four of the boxes in the uh, frame. I know, man. Thanks for coming on the show, man. You did a great job when you came on the Mike and Donnie show last week. Oh, man, it was an incredible opportunity. Are you kidding me? The things that you guys do, especially just... What Mike and Donnie does and what they embody on TV is something that everyone should just jump into and, and be open about because that's the real talk. Yeah, man. That's what we're trying to do. You know, when we have people on the show like yourself. We want people that's going to come on there and be authentic, be real, be unfiltered, just have real barbershop talk like you have when you're going to get your hair cut. Or if a woman's on the show, when she goes to the beauty salon, man, just let it all hang out uninterrupted, man, and just uh, uninhibited. But that's what we like to bring to the table. Yes, yes. No, I definitely felt comfortable. I felt confident. And, you know, when I was able to speak, I felt the greatness come out and it was received. And that's something that, that you know, it has to be the platform that does that for you. And it's like I said, it's an honor to have even to touch that platform that you guys provide. And Mike, I got to tell you right now, time's the most finite thing we have on this earth, brother. So I got to make sure I tell you, I appreciate your time and you coming on the show and fucking with us. Thank you. Man, I appreciate that, man. That that means a whole lot, man. And I'm I'm glad that you said things like that when you see what happened with Chad with Bozeman, obviously uh, last week, and then obviously you see Kobe earlier this year, and then just the whole pandemic what we got going on right now, and then the police brutality in the street, everything that's happening. You never know, man. Enjoy today because tomorrow's not promised, and give the roses to the people that you really want to get the roses to today because you don't want to lay roses at their grave tomorrow, brother. Hey, man, you, you preaching right now. And I got to make sure that, you know, I give you your flowers and your roses for being a dedicated father and, you know, taking the right step forward in marriage and, you know, putting the, the stamp out there and the standard of, you know, what a man's supposed to do and what a man's supposed to look like in that society and that surrounding. So thank you. Saying to you, man, I appreciate you, man. You came on the show, was talking about good fathers, man, just how it is, you know, being, because a lot of times fathers don't get enough credit for what they do you know, especially in certain communities and whatnot, man, but you, and along with the other guests on the show, man, you were outstanding, but you know, 
you also gave credit where credit is due, talking about your wifey, man, and talking about, you know, putting the queen on her throne where she belongs, man, and putting her first and your family first. So when you told me, you know, to come on the show, man, I, I, I jumped at the opportunity, and I'm happy to be here with you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one thing I will attest to is that we are definitely blessed more as one. When my wife and I, when we got married, the abundance of blessings came in left and right. You know, we had a child. It was a miracle baby. We were told we weren't have kids. And then so for us to be able to have my son and then have a daughter two years later, you know, that's some of the biggest abundance of blessing and joy that you can ask for. Absolutely, man. You know, kids are, you know, just they, they change your life, man. And, you know, and it took me a long time. You'll see in the book, you know, for me to actually learn how to be a really good dad. You know, you think you're a good dad by providing for them and giving them money and things like that. But, you know, you learn later on in life, especially as a man having daughters that, you know, it takes so much more. Your time, your commitment, you know, just being there for them, man just, you know, being present. And uh, I miss a lot of that in my daughter's life, man. But once again, man, I applaud you for doing it the right way and learning in time, man, because you still got your, your your kids with you. And that means a lot. Oh, yeah. My father was taking me taken away from me when I was four when he passed away. So it's like when my son hit four and, you know, it was three weeks afterwards, I turned four, I lost my dad. So I'm like, as soon as the fourth week hit, I was joyous. And then, you know, my daughter's going to turn four in December and I got that same energy. And it's just, you know, it's, it's small little victories that you learn to grow with and, and you know, to, to make yourself like, okay, I am growing. I am doing stuff better and greater than the the precedent, your, your parents. Yeah, I mean, and that's the whole thing, man. It's like, you know, I, you read in the book, I just never had a, a male role model that was somebody I could actually look up to that was teaching me how to do it the right way. I always had some male role models in my life, but I learned from a lot of their mistakes and I learned a lot of their mistakes and it carried over into my adult life and that was wrong man but you know what like you said you gotta you gotta set the precedent you know your kids are the first you're the first king that your kids actually get a chance to see you know what i mean so yeah. if that's the case you know you got to whether you want to be a role model or not you are going to provide an example you're going to set that example you're going to set that standard for them man so you know if you got a, a son or a daughter you know you just got to make sure that you're trying to live your life the best way because they're going to emulate it one way or another facts Facts, facts, facts. Now, I, Mike, I got a quote. Let me know how this quote relates to you, or if it doesn't, the idea is I just want you to talk about it. It's like my icebreaker. Okay. Every day, I'm reminded that our life's journey is really about the people who touch us. Stuart Scott. Mm. Every day, I'm reminded about, yeah. I mean, because, you know, always, my, my whole motto has always been, you know, um, life is a series of choices. And choices in your life also include the people that you include in your life. And what happened with me early on was the people who were in my life, they have, may have had an influence, good or bad, that kind of dictated what my life actually became. And so, yeah, so the people that, come on, baby, my, I'm sorry, my, my fiance walking in, so, yeah. okay. <laughs> good evening. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Zylo. This is my fiance, Cynthia. She's bringing me some tea. Uh, good evening. Yeah, we're Let's... about to get married in a couple of weeks. Oh, I think I saw yeah, yeah, you can't use on the show. Yeah, yeah. I recognize mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. All right, I will tell you guys that my family, we are getting the ancestry test now just because of the show. I ain't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> you got to, bro. Like, yeah, this is the dude, remember when he came yeah. on? And I was I like, remember. man, and I just like at the end of the show, I'm like, you white? I had no idea, man, because look, you you kind of favor, look, you like you could pass or whatever, but at the same time, man, you're a brother to me. You know what I mean? White, black, I don't care who you are, Jewish, if you, uh, 
have that in your heart and your soul, man, and you're a good, positive person. I look at all my brothers and sisters in the world as my brothers and sisters, man. So I see color. Don't get me wrong, because I hate when people say they don't see color, but because everybody sees color. But at the same time, I also see in your heart, and that's the most important thing to me. So anyway, thank you, baby. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. Now I'm having an interview, so you can leave now. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, baby. Love you. Oh, okay. That's it's like that. Oh, she's oh, yeah. Hey, this ain't reality TV. It's real TV. I know. That's that's that's. that's she brought me some real oh, tea. Real tea huh? That's real tea. But anyway, like yeah. I mean, so what Stuart's saying is like the people in your life are going to have an impact on your life. So the people I choose to be around these days, uh, re really important to me. Uh, the people that touch me in my life, they're always people that I, I want to learn something from. If I'm not learning something from that person, or they're not learning from me then it's time for you to stop touching, you know, to be honest with you, because they're a waste of space and you become a waste of space to them. So that quote means a lot to me as well. Yeah, something that, that he talks about without saying it directly, it's in very indirectly, it's potential. The potential there of negative energy can be matched, but if you hit them with the, you know, where you can be touched at, that's where the growth happens. And when I read that quote, it spoke to me because I think about the volumes of your testimonies and growth of how you overcame and how you went into something so open and free into the environment and created the most out of every opportunity. It's I like to say, you take an excuse and make it the reason why you did it. And when you digged into things, especially when I was reading about in Nashville, Tennessee, and just like pushing into the surrounding of high school sports and putting the real the real drag to what's what's real about it and the push and how it's affecting everybody, it's it's amazing to to know that people are comfortable with that setting. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you, I think part of your whole life, a lot, a big portion of your whole life is adaptation. You know what I mean? Uh, adapting to your environments and whatnot. And, you know, like you mentioned, when I went into Nashville, being a sportscaster, actually learning and growing and, and seeing things and learning on the job and whatnot. High school football was big there, but NASCAR was also something that was big. I had, didn't even know what NASCAR was. I had heard of it, obviously, as a sportscaster, but I didn't know, like, how the structure of NASCAR worked. I thought everything was NASCAR, all circuits with NAT, which they are. But, you know, I didn't know that there was, at that time, it was calling it the Winston Cup circuit and then the Bush circuit. I had no idea about all that type of stuff. So those are the things that you remember, but those are the life lessons, not just in sports, but in life. You know, when you're talking to your kids, you're talking to family members and friends or whatever, it's about adapting to the environment that you're in to try and make the most of it. I'm a hustler, man. So at the end of the day, it's like, I grew up in the streets. You know, I ain't gonna say I had a rough, rough, rough life, but I grew up in a rough, rough, rough neighborhood. And I was shielded from a lot of things. But at the same time, I also saw a lot of stuff that you saw in that book that made me the person that I am. So being a hustler, man, meaning that, you know, okay, uh, one of my favorite verses, like you put me anywhere on God's green earth, I triple my work. That's just what I feel like I am. Because the thing is, you put me over here and you tell me that I need to adapt to that, I'm gonna be able to do it. I'm gonna be able to be like a chameleon, man. Uh, I've always said that one of my better qualities was I could have a conversation with Flavor Flav or have a, an intellectual conversation with Barack Obama. You know what I mean? So I think everything, you gotta be able to morph into the situation while continuing to stay who you are. And I think that's the most important thing is continuing to be who you are, not trying to be fake. I ain't being phony, I'm always gonna be who I am, but at the same time, I'm gonna be able to talk to this person down here. I'm gonna be able to talk to that person up here or anywhere in between. But one thing I'm gonna do is if I'm talking to this person down here and he wants to learn, I'm gonna bring that person up. Or if this person up here is too sedated, he wants to learn some street stuff, 
I'm gonna bring him down. I'm gonna try and teach everybody so we can continue to grow together, man. That's what it's all about. No, I love that. I love that because that would that makes everything tangible, transparent. And then once people start to understand each other, I feel like that's where the real growth happens. Right, 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 man. We learn it. We we continue to build from each other. I learned from you on the on the show that night. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's what it's all about, man. I I love being around people that want to better themselves, want to be better. You, you uh, your background, you was in the streets or whatever and stuff like that. You was raised by that. And you, but you know what? I, like this ain't this ain't for me. It's a better life. And I think maybe that's one of the things I can relate to you is because you see something that's innate in you. It's like you want something that's better. You know what I mean? You see it. You can live. You can live that life. You can adapt to that life or whatever. But you know that there might be something that's better that's going to make your life better and also the people around you better, especially your kids. And that's one of the things I appreciate and respected about hearing your story even before you came on the show and then talking to you. So you always want to just continue to grow in all aspects. And when you stop growing, then that's when you need to find uh, another pot of soil to live in, <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the goal for everybody is generational wealth. It doesn't matter what you do. The idea that you come to surface and, you, you know, the world receives you in that way. And it, it leads me to my question. Did the game choose you or did you choose the game? I think it's a little bit of both, man. I think the game chose me. You know what I'm saying? But I chose what games I was going to play. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and, and, and that's, 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 it's complicated because I couldn't, and early on, I didn't pick my situation. You know what I'm saying? I didn't grow up. Had I had my brothers, I would have grown up like the Cosby show or whatever. <laughs> my family would have had plenty of money. My stepdad wouldn't been on, you know, been an alcoholic. My biological father would have been in my life. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't have seen domestic violence growing up. I didn't, I, you know, I wouldn't have grown up in certain things. I would, if I would have been able to choose it. But at the same time, I'm, I don't regret it because it made me the man that I am now. So now once I got my knowledge and I got my game and it gave me that toughness and it gave me that street knowledge or whatever, I decided, like I was saying before, there's an innate ability that I always had inside myself that I knew that there was something better. Where can I learn to make myself better? And that's who I started pursuing and going in those cer certain circles. A lot of the circles wouldn't even, still to this day, I'm 50 years old and I've been on television for 25 years. There are still some circles that won't let me in because they're not sure, because I still have a little edge to, my, to me. You know what I mean? So they're still a little hesitant about letting me in, even being on a reality show with my, my, my fiance. Still circles that won't let me in. But you know what? I'm going to continue to knock on the doors I need to knock on in order for me to establish and get all the knowledge I need for me to continue to grow. So yes, the game kind of chose me a little bit, but then I got into the game and I played the game the right way so I can change the game. And now I can mm. change the game. If I can change the game, I can continue to run the game. And if I run the game, one day I'll own the game. And then when I own the game, I can bring other people into the game. So that's what it's all about, man. Play it, play it the right way. Understand what the rules are, take their rules, win it, manipulate it, and then change it so that you can bring others around just like you and you can own more and more games. It, but I can go on days for the, about that game, how to, play, how to play the game. You know, it's so important to understand that there needs to be growth. You just can't get into something and think that's it, that's all. You have to continue to elevate, grow, level up. You know, don't be complacent and, and allow a ceiling of complexity to crush you. You have to be able to just continue to say, you know what, I'm going to take a leap by faith. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight and see what comes to me. I may touch something I've never touched before. I may hear something I've never heard before. I may just 
go on to a different planet and it may be the same planet but you know what certain things that you can feel and touch will change your whole world mm -hmm. absolutely man it's just you know like you said it's growth man it, it, it's just it's almost like sometimes it feel like it's an out-of-body experience and you know where it comes from for me is that i have a strong belief you know in god and my spirituality mm -hmm. is really important to me you know what i'm saying it's like i can be in a situation that in a, I had to learn this over the years. And like, if you read the book, you'll see, I went through so many ups and downs and pits and valleys and all that type of stuff and mountaintops and got here and got egotistical and then got dropped. And when I got dropped, being at the lowest and depression and thinking about killing myself and all that type of stuff and being raised up once again. But everything that brought me through it, the person or the, the being that brought me through it, I know it was God because he still never gave me more than I could actually handle, even though it felt like a huge burden and a weight, and it gave me depression and brought me down or whatever. It also built something inside of me that, you know what, man, whatever happens to me, now I can handle it because I've been through hell. And if you've been through hell, man, you can, I can go through hell a thousand times. I normally get out of it because that gives me that attitude. The whole thing about put me anywhere on God's green enough that I trip my worth, that comes from going through the struggle. That comes Perseverance. from something and then being knocked back down. How do you know how successful, what success is, unless you've gone through something before? You don't know what success is until you don't have Jack and you failed a couple of times or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So how do you measure the success? So my success, man, comes from, from the grace of God, always being there for me and knowing that, you know what? Hey, I, I can take that leap of faith if I wanted to. And if something happened, if Fox Soul left me tomorrow or she left me tomorrow, man, you know what at the end of the day i'm gonna be all right because i know he got me and that's all that matters yeah it's part of the plan no matter what it's always gonna be a part of the plan and you know i give all glory to god for everything that's happened to me about uh, over a year ago i quit working at a job where i was managing a restaurant and it's just a lot of turmoil going on and you know when you're comfortable in an environment you find ways to stay no matter what and it's just amazing how God will make you so uncomfortable and he will move you some, from something and not make you understand. And you're just in the dark, in a, a smoky mirror, and you can't even see yourself. And then once you actually do, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe all the different things I've touched, I saw. And, and you know, I asked God to be a part of my life and show me things that where I know that he was the only person to touch it. And there's been so many times within this past year and a half that where it's, it's touched me and it's touched me. And I'm like, I know God was a part of this. I mean. Just yesterday, this won't air till later on, but just yesterday, uh, we signed a non-disclosure, but it will air later on. But my son was in a commercial with the NFL and Alicia Keys. And that's what we're talking about, man. Just out of nowhere, and I give all glory to God, just to, you know, like the spirit of hearing her sing three feet away will blow your mind. Uh, just like, don't matter what you're thinking about, you could be processing. For me, I'm processing, process. I'm looking at the cameras. I'm looking at how these people are moving and working, how seven, eight people are moving this whole set. And I'm just processing, processing. And as soon as she sings, all thoughts are gone. Mm. Mm. And that right there is the spirit of music and, and just the whole ability of being alive. Right, right, right. Well, congratulations, first and foremost, on that, man. That's that's awesome. That's incredible of uh, being in the right place, man. Allowing God to move for you too. You know what I'm saying? It's like, once again, you could be in a state and I've been there several times where I was, you know, wondering where that next job was going to come from. And you don't expect it with the, the old saying is you may, he may not come when you want him to, but he's always on time. <laughs> always been on time for me. Always been on time, bro. I'm like, seriously, man, making light choices for me, 
has gotten so much easier. And that comes with maturity. And that comes with, once again, the growth and going through the things and watching God and having these testimonies, man. I'm like, I told, I'll tell you the story. I don't know if you got to it in the book, but losing my job in Dallas and everything that was turmoil and everything was down. And then all of a sudden I didn't get this particular job. I was pissed. I was mad about quitting, thinking about giving up and even thinking about hurting somebody uh, and reading the book that I'm glad I didn't. But, you know, I had to be patient and God talked to me. And when God talked to me and said, hey, what are you doing? Just relax. I got it. Seriously, I was at the, I was, I went from the maddest I've ever been in my life. I'm talking about so mad. Like when you, when you're ready to kill somebody and it's God honest truth, when you're ready to kill somebody, that's the, when you're ready to take, if you're with your bare hands, when you get to that point in your life, man, that is, there is no anger greater. Seriously. That's like uh, something takes over your body and it's hard for me to describe. And it's a choice made. Huh? It's a choice made that you made in your in your conscious that you know this is wrong, this is wrong. But I made a choice in my head. I'm gonna do this. And yes. once once you have that in your head, it's a thought that you possess, and it goes with you forever. Right. It, it's like when so I know what it's like to snap, and I know what it's like to like. If this dude would have been next to me, I was going to get him. I was going to find him, and I was going to hurt him. I really was. Do you realize going from that? to the most calm in your life is a miracle. From me driving and being that angry and then being so hot that I had to roll the windows down. And then when I rolled the windows down, the air came in and I heard God talk to me and it calmed me. Do you realize, man, that is a miracle? Like, I, I can't even explain it. When you read it in the book, you're like, I was, it just, I went from this to like, what you doing? It's almost like it's just like I, like a, something possessed you and then somebody gave you an exorcism and all of a sudden it just left your body. I'm like, what, what happened? Seriously, I was there. That was me. I, I feel you were exhaling aggression and you inhaled the spirit and that, that got inside of you. Ooh, yes, exactly. You're exactly right, man. The spirit got inside of me and it just it calmed me down, made me realize. And then all of a sudden things worked out in your favor. Seriously, man, a lot of these people who are your enemies become your footstools. You know what I mean? All these people who are keeping you down that's putting their foot on your neck, you're going to turn around and they're going to be the people that you're going to be able to climb up on their shoulders. And they're going to, one way or the other, they're helping you out. A lot of times the closed doors are the main ones, the, the best doors for you. The ones that close because it forces you to go in the direction that God wants you to go into. One of my favorite uh, Bible stories is, you know, about Job and, and like being in the belly of the well, uh, well, and, 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 you know, he wanted to go where he wanted to go. But then God brought this whale along and swallowed him, right? And the whale <laughs> took him, didn't eat him. He's in the belly of the whale in this nasty, muckety place and this filth or whatever. You're looking around or whatever. So imagine being in that turmoil and you're around like, oh, I want to be here, God, I want to be here. But then the whale spits him out and the whale spits him out where he needed to be and his life changed. Think about that. That, that's, that's, that's going through what we go through in our lives, man, because a lot of times we're like, God will try and tell you to go somewhere and then he'll shake the boat, throw you in the water because you need to be thrown in the water because you think you're going in the right direction. Then this muckety whale comes and gobbles you up and you think, oh, I'm doomed. This is it, right? And then all of a sudden you go through that and he spits you out where you need to be. Man, that ain't nothing but God, bro. And I've been there several times, several times. So, 
what I go through, man, when somebody closes the door and somebody tells me you ain't get the job and when somebody says your service is no longer needed, I'm like, thank you for your time. You know, it's a little painful, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I thank you for your time because I know what my faith is. And when you know what your faith is, man, you'll be all right. Yes, yes. Now, speaking of faith, I want to, I know you've had a bunch of confirmations, but I want to know what was your big confirmation that, you know, entertainment and producing content is what you're supposed to do with your life. I knew early on in my life that I wanted to entertain people. I just knew it. I just like the first time it, you, when you read, you read in the book, man, I, it was something that happened to me in the classroom. When it happened to me in the classroom and I got this, a reaction, I'm like, oh, it was like a high. It's like somebody right in my arm, man. I was like, oh God, I gotta have more. I gotta continue to do this. So I knew I was always like a class clown or whatever and all that stuff. I said, man, I gotta, I gotta be, use this platform. I gotta be on some kind of stage doing something. You know, I wanted to be an actor. Then I was like, you know, I wanna be a news guy. So I chose all these different directions. Now I do it all, you know what I mean? So early on in my life, I knew that entertainment was gonna be something that I wanted to do because I love the platform. And it's not necessarily just being in front, but also producing and being behind the scenes, man, and creating content now. You know what I mean? But something that is meaningful to me. So it's grown, it's kind of expanded or uh, evolved over the years because of, you know, just your mindset and your maturity. But yeah, early on, man, I knew I had to do something to entertain, man. I had to. <laughs> you know, it's amazing because as we talk about it, you're 25 years in the game. You've seen so much growth in the game. You've been a part of such stellar cast and colleagues from ESPN to Fox Sports to, to now. And, you know, you've seen just how everything has transitioned. And, you know, you have definitely transitioned and kept up with the way with the web series and just keeping the, those dynamics going along. So I want to know, what was it like working around Jim Rohn, Stuart Scott, like the era, pardon the interruption beginning, around the horn beginning? Like, what was it with the stellar colleagues? And like, was it hella competitive? Because you worked your way up from ESPN News. Like, that's not, there's no room for you when you're, when you're there. And they make it like that. <laughs> what was crazy, man, it's like, well, this is God working again. I never wanted to go to ESPN early in my, my career. I, I did. I swear I did. I never wanted to be. I, I didn't want to work at ESPN. I just like, you know what? I had heard stories about how much they work you and they do work you a lot. How much they underpay you, how much they underappreciate you. And a lot of it is true. But it's once again, it's the biggest platform ever. This is God moving because <laughs> had it not been for what happened to me when I was pissed off and about to hurt somebody and all that type of stuff. ESPN wouldn't have happened, you know what I mean? Because I was actually forced, not forced, but I was in a position where, hey, this just kind of dropped, it dropped in my lap. I swear to God, it dropped, ESPN dropped in my lap. I wasn't looking for ESPN at the time, it dropped in my lap at a time in which I needed ESPN and it changed my life. So that's God, bro. So being at ESPN and being there around there, yeah, obviously you see Stuart Scott who, you know, when I was coming up or whatever, he gave me, he gave me license to be myself. I'm gonna give him props for that. Because I saw I saw a brother on the air being authentic. I saw a brother on the air who sounded like I sound. And I always felt like coming into the game, you know, I was like, no, I wanna be myself. When, when, once I found my voice early on as an intern, when you read in the book, you'll also see how I found my voice as an intern before I was on the air. And me trying to sound a certain way and sound really clean and talk like this and doing all that type of stuff. That's fake. That's not me. So like, and I had a good mentor that said, you know what? That's not you. 
try this way. I tried it that way. Bam. It's like, that's who you are. Be that. Do that. So, but I had never seen anybody on the air doing it. So you got to understand, I started in the business. Stewart wasn't really even on ESPN yet. So I didn't see him on a national scale. He was at local markets. So we basically kind of came on the scene. I was in a local market and then he started at ESPN at the same time. So I'm there and I'm still a little hesitant about doing it a certain way or whatever. But then I see him doing it on the national level and I'm like, damn, I can truly just be myself. And I just was truly being my, now it kind of worked both ways for me when it came to that because him being on a national level and just me being my authentic me, a lot of people tried to compare us or a lot of people tried to say that I was trying to sound like him, which wasn't true because I've always just been me or whatever. But, you know, I give him a lot of credit because he allowed, he set the standard and people saw that and he paved the way. So it made it better for people like me coming along the way. So when I got an opportunity to work with him at ESPN, I ain't going to say we was the best of friends, but we knew each other. Um, he was always there. If I saw him personally, you know, stop and chat, ask how my family was doing, how my girls were doing or whatnot. And then seeing colleagues like Dan Patrick when I first got to ESPN, which was even more thrilling for me because Dan Patrick's my favorite sportscaster coming up or whatnot. So I loved him and Keith Oldman. Those are the guys that kind of made it cool for, uh, you know, uh, sportscasters or whatever and those personalities or whatever. But, you know, then being called to be on Jim Rome's show. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm at ES. I was no, I wasn't even at ESPN. I was at Fox. By the time I got to Fox, I'm doing my show, and whatnot, and his producers called me when he had a show on Showtime. It's like, hey, Jim likes you. He wants you to come on the show. Like that's an honor for me. When you see things like that, when you see guys that you grew up admiring or whatever, you see on the national stage, and they want you to be a part of their program, that that means a lot, bro. It really does. Absolutely. No, and I mean, bro, I want to know. Who do we owe to thank you for instilling the dream could be reality for you to go on TV? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good question. Who? Ultimately, my grandmother told me mm -hmm. it was possible. You also got to understand that when I was young, I was coming up teenager in the 80s, and we didn't see a lot of people like me, you know what I mean, on a national stage, on anything to be honest with you as far as you know broadcast you saw maybe a reporter or two you got to understand even back then you didn't even see a lot of a lot of black anchors you know fronting a news set on local news you just didn't and you didn't see them on the national stage when they came to sportscast you saw who at the time black people thought was like he does he was making this noise and sounded like dance or whatever so so and, and respect LeBron because that's who he is and whatnot. So I'm not trying to disrespect him or anything like that. But, you know, you got to understand that if you were sounding like Brian Gumby, you sounded like you weren't black in a sense. And that was wrong. Totally wrong. But that's just the way it was. But that was the representation that we saw there. Um, so my grandmother told me, you know, I told her when I was coming up that I wanted to be an actor. And then um, – I wanted to be a, a broadcaster. She's like, go for it. Like, you can do whatever you want to, whatever you put your mind to, you can do. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do it or anybody that tries to take any of your happiness from you. Don't allow it. Yes. And that kind of put me in a mindset. And then ironically, the woman that I married, my first wife, she had an uncle and her uncle's name was, guess what? Huh. Uncle, her uncle's name was Michael Hill. So we had the same name, and guess what he did? He was a reporter 
on TV. Wow. A black reporter on TV. And I'm like, wow. And it just felt natural. And so he kind of was like my early mentor early on in my days and whatnot and kind of helped me with my tapes or whatever. But yeah, I mean, so those people believed in me. I really didn't have a lot of people that didn't. I had some people that, you know, thought that I was going to change because, you know, being on television, once again, back then, you would have to sound like Brian Gumbel to be on. So I, one of my best friends used to call me Tom and Tom, you know, like I'm sound like Uncle Tom. But those are just jokes, man. But, you know, it, it you know, it worked out, man. It worked out. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. Look at you today. <laughs> still trying to make it, brother. I'm still grinding. I've only reached about 40 percent of my potential, man. So a lot of people will always say, hey, man, you successful and all that. I don't consider myself successful. I consider myself having a lot of success. But mm. successful to me is attaining your full potential. And I've only attained about 40 percent of my full potential. So I still got a lot in the tank, man, in order for me to become successful. No, I respect it. That's real humble. But, you know, someone from the spectrum looking on, you know, from the outside in, you have a lot of victories where that you have a, an amazing story to tell, not just for a book, but I feel like so much more should come from it. And, you know, that's that's just one part of the spectrum. The other part of the spectrum is that you have a genuine passion about a lot of the stuff you touch. It's not just you're touching it because you're being paid to do so. It's because there's genuine passion behind it. And that's something that will have you separate yourself from others. And, you know, personally, I'm a huge fan of competition. I love sports. And, you know, you definitely hit the hammer on the nail when it comes to being on uh, broadcasting sports and, and pretty much giving your take on everything and getting background stories. What part of sports keeps you passionate and tuned in? Uh, just the, the, the competition, man. Like you said, I'm a competitive person. I like competition. I like motivation. I like when you when you better than me or something. Because I want to be, I want to beat you. Man, I just love that. So when I see competitors who don't want to team up with a bunch of people and stack their team, man, I want to take the underdogs. I want to beat you. That's why I want to be on a small streaming show that just started off. I want to help that build so I can beat the mega giants that are out there. I love that. I like those opportunities, man. You know, sometimes it can be frustrating, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I love being on a good team that plays like a team that wants to share the ball, but also wants to win. That's that that's what keeps me coming back when it comes to sports. That's what I love about it, man. You can't beat it. It's just it's it's, it's incredible, man, that 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 you work so hard for something that at the end of the day is only going to be one champion. You know what I mean? And so the, the 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 athletes that I admire the most are the ones that just they got that heart. They want to win. They not only want to beat you, they want to take your soul. That's the those are the guys that are the ghosts to me. Those are the guys that are my my dogs, you know, made from a certain cloth. The Michael Jordans, the Al Nirisons, Kobe Bryant's of the world, Isaiah yeah. Thomas, Left Bird. You know, I don't want to just beat you. I want to destroy you. I love that. No, you, you, when you're saying this, you're bringing me back. I'm a huge Laker fan, and you reminded me of the damn Detroit Pistons 0304 and, and thinking that, you know, we're going to be champions. We're built to, to, to battle everybody and, you know, one of the best records, and then boom. Yeah. Our ass is knocked out. Don't even win the shit. Yeah, man, but, you know, hey, hey look, give love to Detroit. They won back to back. They did they, they, the damn thing. Chauncey Billups and the guys, they were incredible. Don't get me wrong, but here's the thing, man. I always look at that series as Carl Malone tearing his ACL. 
If Carl Malone doesn't tear his ACL or have that knee injury, man, I think it, was, it could have been a different series, bro. Gary Payton was hurt. Kobe, you know, they was going through the whole thing with Kobe up and down. With, so I remember that very well. Back then, I'm, I've always been a Kobe fan, a Kobe and Shaq fan. Yeah. It was more so Shaq at the time, and Kobe kind of got on my nerves a little bit. But, you know, of course, over – period of time, man, Kobe is always, you know, I respect and love what he's brought to the table. But that dynamic duel, man, they could have won eight, nine championships together. But once again, that's another, that's the separate side of sports. And that's why I always say being a team, man, like me and Donnie, you know, everybody, I think people know in the beginning when we first started the show, you know, we clashed a little bit because we came from separate sides of the track, but we both have eight personalities, whatever. So we had to learn, okay, Right. You can be yang, you can be yang, man. But you know, we can come together. And we can respect each other as men. You know what I mean? And we're co-hosts, and we're making it work together, man. And I think that's what makes the show so fascinating. Now is that we understand our roles and we play our roles well. But we come together to form that wonder twin power, man. That really makes it and brings it home. Yes, yes. No, and that's that product we see, the Mike and Donnie show, where it's realer than real. Yeah, man. And, you know, I got another thing that I really respect that you said earlier is that, you know, you took the steps upon yourself that, you know, you went through the game and you got out the game so that you can become your own boss and hire others. And, you know, to be your own boss is always the dream. Thrill of Entertainment is living the dream as we speak. Can you tell the listeners, viewers what Thrill of Entertainment does just so that, you know, they could be filled in on some of the big accomplishments you have been able to do? I've read some of the awards you got over the past few years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so Thrill of Entertainment, it kind of came about because what I got tired of, you got to understand in this business, when you are under contract with a television company, a broadcasting company, a lot of your material becomes their material, becomes their rights. You know what I mean? It becomes whatever you create. Perpetu- yeah? <laughs> Perpetu- was it perpetuity? Perpetuity. Perpetuity. You know, you know, you, you know the word I'm talking about. So it's, 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 it becomes their product. So I could make a show and I was creating shows at ESPN. I did this uh, digital show called Both Sides of the Ball. I did something called Step to the Mic a long time ago before Open Mic and all that type of stuff. I was making these segments. And what I was finding out is that if I did it and I wanted to take it somewhere else, I couldn't because they owned the rights to it. (laughs) And I'm like, ah, so let me see how I can do this. So what I would do is I would bring it in and I would bring it in under my own umbrella and bring it in under my own production company to, to kind of control it, you know, so that I could take it with me. So I could, you know, copyright it or whatever, trademark it, and then, you know, move it if I wanted to move it somewhere else. So it came about by that. But then what happens is, like, I always felt like some of my best work is in what, I, what you see on air me doing, but what I create. So now I'm creating not just uh, TV shows, uh, talk shows, scripted television shows, I got a game show that I created with me and my fiance that is about to blow up. To be honest with you, that's about to happen really soon. So that's under my umbrella there too. And everything else that happens, even me as an individual, as a, a broadcaster, I am employed by Thrill of Entertainment so that, you know, when you hire me, you're hiring my company. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's a long story, man, but it's something that I think if you're in this game long enough, you should have your own production company so that you can actually protect yourself so that you can always uh, retain the rights to your properties. Yes, that's licensing. And licensing gets you paid more than anything. I want to say, I just saw a thing with uh, 
or why am I forgetting it's Dame Dash. And Dame Dash was like, you want to take something, you want to license it for three years and only three years. And then after that three years, license to someone else for three years and get paid the same amount. Right, 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 man. It's the game, man. It's, it's, it's forever changing, man, but you got to be able to adapt. Man, I, you know, we've been talking about the book all the way through, and I feel like I've been just giving just so many uh, cliff notes throughout because I got you spilling. But I got to ask this. I understand why the book came to life to tell your story. I want to know how good it feels to speak on your history and express your trials and tribulations, adversity, and overcoming. Because for some of my family members, it's really, really hard for me to speak on the past and our adversities and overcoming. And so it's like, you know, from that perspective, it's just a challenge so that, you know, you're, you're opening up wounds, you're opening up scars. And so it's like, you know, how good did it feel to get it out? But also, who did you unlikely hurt the most? Or what was the challenging part of writing the book? Like, because you hurt people indirectly by talking about scars that, yes, they're your scars. They're on your body. But because they were facilitating, in charge, or there at the time and something happened they don't want to hear about it but the reality is we all got to grow we got to help people get over those speed bumps of life where that that gave me a scar but not everyone else has to have that same scar right you're right man and, and that's a good question um you know writing this book uh, i knew that i was going to be open i was going to be transparent um i always say i changed some of the names to protect the guilty uh, so and not the innocent because they were guilty as blood you know <laughs> what i'm saying uh but um yeah Certain people that were in the book, bringing their names up, obviously you would know who they are, even if I changed your name. So I would give them a heads up and say, hey, I'm going to write about my life. And you know you were a part of my life, and you know some of the things that happened in my life. So, you know, I, I, I was concerned about, you know, my exes because they're the mother of my children and how that was going to play out and all that type of stuff. But, you know, so far, the book's been out for a couple of weeks now. I haven't heard anything. <laughs> Although the other day I got a phone call and it was a lawyer's office. I'm like, oh, shit, what the hell's going on? You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't had nothing to do with that. Um, so, yeah, so so far, so good. But I know that there are going to be some people that's going to read some things. It's not going to be so flattering about them. Or they're gonna. it's going to reveal something that I probably, I know I've expressed to them in the past. But, you know, it's another thing when you actually put it on blast for everybody else to see or whatnot. Uh, so they shouldn't be surprised that I put it in there, but at the same time, you know, it's still going to be painful that it's kind of been exposed. But for the most part, if I said something about somebody in the book and it was something that was a little controversial or negative, if they got back with me, that's like, hey, you know what? That's how I was at that time. And I, hey, I'm just happy that you're speaking your truth or whatever. But speaking about that, you were talking about how your family members opening up some of those wounds or whatever. It was something that was necessary for me. You know, I understand some people don't want to pick at scabs and, and, and make a scar bleed again or whatever. But for me, it was something that was internal that I had to dig out. And if I wouldn't have uh, gotten it out of my body, I would have died. I would have, I really feel like it would have killed me because it was something that was emotional stress and emotional turmoil that uh, was really bringing me down and was affecting me mentally and a bit physically, to be honest with you, not only myself, but it was affecting people around me. So until I was able to uh, uncover uh, some of those mental traumas that I had in my life, you know, I wasn't able to get better. So this book was my, my therapy that I didn't even realize I needed, bruh. That's what I'm saying. It was something that when I started writing the book, I started uncovering things that I had suppressed for so long that I didn't even realize they were there. So I'm writing about something that happened to me when I was 15 years old. I'm like, wait a minute. What? So that... 
that explains why I'm like this and why I can't shit. And I would start crying. I would start crying. And then I started writing more and I started writing more. I'm like, well, that, that explains this and why this, and it started making sense. And it was like a piece of the puzzle starting to work. So I tell people like people are afraid to open up because they're afraid of opening up old wounds, or whatever. But sometimes these old wounds need to be, um, they need to be cut into again to be fixed. It's almost like if you break your, if you break your 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 your, your leg or something like that, right? So you break your leg, your leg is going to heal, but it's not going to heal properly. So right. if if you have trouble walking because of that, guess what the doctor's going to have to do? The doctor's going to have to break your leg again in order to snap it back so it can heal. And that's what I do. That's what I figured I had to do. So I had to go in there break this leg all over again because it didn't heal properly the first time and it was affecting me. So now I can do that and now I can get the rehabilitation I need so I can continue to walk the right path. You know, the biggest thing I feel like you had to overcome is forgiveness. You had to forgive yourself. You had to forgive others. And, you know, the best way to give out forgiveness and, and not getting a response back per se, but getting the emotion out of forgiveness is putting it down on paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was my, once again, it was my therapy. It was something that, I need it. That's why I tell people now, if you don't go talk to somebody and as I advocate for mental health and mental therapy, if you don't want to talk to somebody, write it down, write your thoughts down, man, Write Something is inside of you right now. And everybody goes through some kind of trauma. I don't care who you are. You can be, you know, be Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world. You can be, you know, uh, uh, the owner of Amazon, uh, and, 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 and have all the money in the world. You got problems. You got things you need to talk out. And you need to be able to talk to somebody. So if you can't talk to somebody, you don't feel comfortable talking to them when you can't find the right person, write it out. Get it off your chest, man, because it, it becomes the stress relief that you need. You know, so you got to be able to let that stuff go, bro. Mike, people think that communication is easy. They think just because talking is communication, people got to go to college and get degrees in communication so that they understand the values of, of psychologically thinking and socially putting things out so that you know it's received. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I, you, you mean like somebody has to go to college in order to communicate? No, but I'm saying the level of communication, it varies where there are, there's levels of degrees so that, you know, it's not just something you're gonna be able to do easily. You're not gonna be able to tell someone how you feel, even though it's simple to say, I feel good. But the reality is you're going through this, that, the third and the others, and you're, you're you know, you just say you're feeling good and you're, you're keeping that, that energy turmoiled and, and, and cooking and getting ready to sizzle and pop and more than glass breaks when, when something pops. Well, the, but see, here's the thing with that whole thing, being able to communicate, you don't have to use big words, anything like that. Know how you feel on the inside. That's why when I'm praying and I'm talking to somebody like my, me and my fiance pray all the time, whatever and she prays. And she says, was that a good prayer? I'm like, how did you feel? Did you feel you communicate? It ain't a, our heavenly father and all that man talk just talk you know how do you feel express yourself that way when you can do that everything's gonna be all right so it's not about having i don't think it's about having levels of degrees it's about being honest with yourself when you can be honest with yourself not necessarily just telling them because for a long time i was fooling myself i put a mask on for so long that i didn't even realize who i was so mm -hmm. that's what i'm saying when i wrote the book it was almost like i had a mask and i was pretending and i felt I convinced myself that I was the happiest I had ever been in my life. 
you know, and I was dying on the inside because I would find myself crying for no reason. I'm like, why am I crying? I'm like, crying. I, I hadn't cried in years. And now all of a sudden I'm just like uncontrollably, why am I sobbing all the time? Because all this stuff, this pressure, it's like a, a pressure cooker. You know, you put the pot on it or whatever, you seal it, but it's still boiling on the inside and you got the steam's got to go somewhere or it's going to explode. And so started letting it out and it started coming out. And that's the, the, the tears starting to come out or whatnot. So you got to be honest with yourself, first and foremost, in order to get help. I always say one of my, another one of my favorite lines from Jay-Z is like, you know, uh, you can't heal what you don't reveal. You know what I mean? So you got to be able to reveal it. You got to be able to let it out, man, and let somebody know that this is going on inside. But you got to be honest with yourself and anything that you're going through, not just from a mental standpoint, but, you know, when you have an addiction, what's the first step to recovery? Admitting you have a problem. You have to admit, you have to say, I have a problem. This is affecting me. I want help. When you do that, then that's when the healing begins. But until you are honest with yourself and realize and genuinely say to yourself and really truly mean, I want help, nothing's going to change. Facts. Facts. Man, I don't even want to ask this next question just because of just the topic we just talked about. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to throw it in there. Good, baby. I read that you did the audio version of Deion Sanders' book, Money or Power, Money, and Sex. Money, Sex. Yep, yep, yep. That was the first. I did that. Man, I did that when I was like 27, 28 years old in Nashville, man. It was, that was, I think I got paid like $700 for that for three days' work. I got underpaid, bro. I was like, but you ain't know. Yeah, I ain't know. But it was, it was a good experience. I read this whole book in an audio booth. And now, actually, what's crazy is like next week. I'm actually doing my own audio version of my Fish. own, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you, you just took my question. How long do you think it's going to take you to read the audio version of your book in comparison to Power Money Sex? Because, think, you know, reading one person's story is one thing, but reading your own and getting your expressions out is another. Yeah, I th I, but, you know, when you read my book, you'll see I wrote it the way I talk. <laughs> I wrote it. So if you know my voice, you can read and hear my voice when you when yeah. talk. You, you can hear right. me. Because I wrote it, I even like a size. I would like say something like, blah, 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 and I did this, and I cheated, and she found out about it. And then I put something over here, man, I was fucked up, wasn't I? That was just a fucked up thing. I would say something like that. you know. So it's almost like I'm telling you the story, but I'm having a conversation with you personally, like, damn, you, you see how I'm messed up? Like, you ain't shit. You know, I would say things like that. You know, so I think, when it's time for me to read it, I think it's, it, it won't take me that long at all because obviously they're my words and I know what it is and I can, you know, just kind of flow with it. And I know exactly how I, how I was feeling when I wrote it and what mm -hmm. the expression should be. Absolutely. That $700 back then ain't going to feel like nothing when it comes to next week and you're reading your own book. Hello. <laughs> So I got, you know, my dream as a kid, because like as a kid, or yesterday, my son got asked, what's your favorite TV show? And his answer was YouTube. And, you know, it has me thinking, like, what was my favorite show growing up? Like, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was Sports Center. I watched that thing religiously. Like, I would learn what people were saying just because, like, you know, it's like the, the lingo, the lingo. I didn't, like, have a dad. So it's like, you got to learn how to speak that, speak that same language. And so Sports Center allowed me to talk sports with people. Like the streets is one thing, but the sports game is a whole nother. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my question to you is, what's your three favorite sports moments you've witnessed or covered of all time? Ooh, three favorite. Well, A, um, 
covering the 2000 World Series, Subway Series. I grew up, you know, across the street from Yankee Stadium in the Bronx when I was born, when I moved down south later on. But the Yankees, my favorite team in any sport, right? So to see and be able to cover the Subway Series between the Yankees and the Mets, that was incredible for me. And to be on the float with the Yankees, my favorite team, I was on a float with the pitchers, with David Cohn, with uh, Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit. I was on the I was on the float with these guys as we're going down the Canyon of Heroes, man, and seeing a million people not even being able to hear your own voice or whatever because it's so loud and seeing streamers come down. That is the biggest and the greatest spectacle I've ever experienced in my life, not just in sports, but in my life. Period, man. I was amazing. So that's definitely number one on the list. Uh, number two, uh, I was at uh, was Super Bowl 34. Super Bowl 34, uh, Titans and the Rams. I covered five Super Bowls. And I was when I was right 15 yards away when Kevin Dyson was reaching out to try and get over the field. You know. So yard you know, short. One yard short, I was there. Uh, what would be number three? Um, God, I know I'm missing something. Hey, but see, you talking about the beginning of the greatest show on turf. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the year. That was the year. Uh, and you know, like I said, I covered a lot of Super Bowls, whatnot, NBA. I'm trying to think, NBA Finals. Yeah, no NBA Finals really stood out to me, man. But like, uh, but one of my greatest moments was in sports. wasn't even on a field. It's one day I was uh, I was at this celebrity golf tournament. They asked me to participate in. And I'm at the driving range and I'm sitting there in my cart. I get out of my car and walking over to the driving range. <laughs> and I see this tall dude walking towards me, dark skin. He had on the Nike hat, he had on the shades, or whatever, he had a cigar in his mouth, or whatever. He's walking right towards me. And he comes over and he extends his hands like, Hey, Mike, man, great to meet you, man. Thank you for coming here today. And it's Michael Jordan. And I'm like, All right. You know my name. <laughs> you know my name. Like seriously, man. I try to play it off. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, what's up, Mike? How you doing, man? I'm like pissing on myself to be honest with you. But he's like, yeah. He's like, Mike. You know, because it was a, a, a it was the the uh, CFO of the Charlotte Hornets. It was his event. I go to every year or whatever. But he knew who I was from watching me on ESPN, man. And like for him to walk up to me and say what's up to me, man. I'm like, yo. That that right there was like a moment. So it's, it it always kind of trips me out when I never consider myself a celebrity. But I once again, I give credit to ESPN for being such a powerhouse because it's allowed me to be who I am in a way professionally. Because the people that really do know me outside of Housewives now, they know me because of ESPN, and uh, that includes a lot of major athletes like Shaq. Like the first time I met Magic Johnson was, I was at a urinal <laughs> and he walked in right beside me like, what's up, young fella? I'm like, oh shit, it's Magic, what's up, man? <laughs> so, that's, so all that stuff, when, when these guys know who you are, Lil Wayne and, and, and rappers and stuff like that, LeBron, those people, you party with him in San Diego. When you do that type of stuff, man, and they, you, you feel good about yourself, man. So, but I still have a long way to go. See, I don't know how much more time you have. I know you got another event going on. I just, uh, I got two segments I want to do with you. My awareness segment and my impulse Q&A 
are we good to go on that? I don't want to take too much more of your time. Are you yeah, I, got, I got about five, ten more minutes. Okay, I'm gonna run through it quickly. So knowledge is power, but when you use that knowledge, it's a superpower. And so I asked all my guests, when was the last time they were pulled over? And what's some advice they can give to someone in that situation of interacting with the police so that they can get through it? Wow, that's a really good question. Very relevant today. You know, fortunately for me, it's been a minute since I've actually been pulled over. Um, and, you know, thank God. And it's hard for me to even say, and it's weird to even be asked this question now, because there have been times where I've been pulled over and once again, I've been recognized. You know, a lot of times I've been in local markets when I was coming up or whatever, and they were recognized because they watched local sports or whatever, or at ESPN. Uh, and a lot of times they give me a warning, but there was, there, so there has been a time though when I was profiled, when I was in New Jersey and I'm driving through a certain neighborhood, my cousin's neighborhood, and I was looking for a house because she had a brand new house there or whatnot. So I was trying to find it, it was at night. So me and my wife was kind of creeping, looking, you know how you just look for the house, the number on the house. So I'm driving and I'm like, oh, there it is right there. And so we pull off. And as we're pulling off, man, I get to the stop sign and I turn and I see a car coming behind me and it's a police car. And I turn, I make another left turn and it turns behind me, right? And I tell my wife who was from the islands, very, very naive when it comes to the police because she hadn't been over here for a long time. I said, they're about to pull me over. She says, you didn't do anything. Why, why would they pull you? I said, they're going to pull me over. Three minutes You know later, that feeling. Yeah, you know the feeling. And three minutes later, man, whoop, they light me up. I pull over, get over, and uh, they come, <laughs> come up to the car, ask for license and registration, all that stuff like that. I'm like, I'm like well, why, why'd you stop me? Well, uh, we saw you kind of going slow in the neighborhood. And I'm like, is that a crime? You know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? So when you know you're being profiled and you haven't done anything wrong and they're pulling you over, it's a feeling that's just, because you know they don't do it to everybody. You know what I'm saying? And growing up and feeling that feeling, it's like, it's hard to prove. And that's why trying to explain that feeling to a lot of people that haven't been in that situation and haven't been profiled before, or didn't go through it when they were a child or whatever, it's hard to explain what I'm talking about. But it's a feeling, it's a gut that you can get. Uh, from that or whatnot, but the advice I would give to the people, man, is like, don't do what I did that night because I went off. I went the fuck off, man. Like, <laughs> my wife was like, calm down. I was like, I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful because when he walked up, oh, this is what pissed me off because when he came up, he came up and I saw his partner come up on the other side with the lights and he already had his hand on his gun and I'm, my wife's in the car with me and I'm very protective of my family. And I'm like, she's shaking, she's scared or whatever and all that type of stuff. And I see the gun, I'm like, it just pissed me off because I feel like I gotta go in protection mode. So I went off, I'm like, y'all, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And he's still trying to do this. He's like, let me get out. And I'm like, I'm not getting out of the car. It was all that type of stuff. You know what I mean? My wife's like, please just get out, blah, 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 and all this. And so she's panicking, she's freaking out. So I get out and it's something, they, they wrote me off some bogus ass shit or whatever, but it was like, it wasn't, I fought it one. But don't do that. <laughs> Try not to do that. As, as, as frustrating as it is, as black men, when we get pulled over uh, and you know you're being profiled, we have to try at least to remain calm. Now, this was before cell phone video was you know, huge. This was probably back in, this was in 
2000, year 2000. So people didn't have a lot of cell phones and whatnot. That was video phones, whatnot. Uh, but, you know, pull out your video phone, you know, put it up on your, on your, on your, 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 your dash or whatever, and whatnot, record this because you don't, you can't rely on them having their, uh, their, 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 body, cameras, their body cams on or whatnot. So, you know, be calm, try and answer their questions as, as, as politely as possible, as much as you want to cuss them the fuck out, you know, just relax and try and get home, man. That's the bottom line. Cause we can be big, bold. We can yell, we can scream. We can go off on the cops all you want to, but the bottom line, uh, your objective that night, despite being pulled over and harassed, is to make sure you get home safely to your family. So do what you can, do what you can. As much, as hard as it is, I know it's tough, but do what you can to make sure you get home to your family that night. Mike, thank you for your testimonies and you know, one, reliving a moment. Every time I've interacted with the police, I probably got like 30 of them in my record, but that's here nor there. You get PTSD. When you hear that engine broom up and it slams on his brakes behind you, that shit sticks with you. As soon as you hear an engine vroom, you're looking to see if the five five O's pulling up behind me. What's what's gonna happen? And you know, you look at the reaction of everybody else because you're supposed to stay calm so that they don't have a reason to do something. But no matter what, if they hit that switch, they hitting that switch is blurp blurp time, and, and you know you got to pull over. Mm-hmm. And it, you know we live in an environment on the West Coast where if you ain't got a gun or drugs, they finna let you go. And you ain't gonna get no ticket, but that hour you had was wasted. You sat in the cold, you sat in the hot sun, you sweated, you went through that. If you did something they didn't like, they bumped you over or you got hit, and then you know you got through it and you thank God you got to go home. Yeah, but it's that's that's and it's not the right way to live. And that's why I go back to therapy, man. Like you 30 times, man, waste profile looking at you or whatnot, and they say. You know, he's doing something wrong, the wrong kind of car you're driving. You're in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time or whatever. You fit the description. All this, it, it, exactly, you're white, but you know what? You go through it, man, because they don't know sometimes. To be honest with you, it, your, your, your look kind of doesn't work for you in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? So cops are trying to figure it out as well. And even so, if you fit a certain description or you listen to certain kind of music or you got some kind of background or you're wearing certain kind of clothes, they're automatically going to just go to this stereotype of who you might be instead of who you are. You know what I mean? And so that hour wasted time is frustrating. But also, when you talk about the things that you've gone through and being bumped and hit, that ain't right. That ain't what we're supposed to go. They're supposed to be here to protect and serve. So when you go through that type of stuff, that's trauma. That's trauma. So, brother, I hope that because you went through that type of stuff and what you've seen and experienced in your life, man, that you're writing stuff down or that you're going to talk to somebody, man, because that needs to be out because it's affecting you whether you whether you, whether you you know it or not, and it could be affecting the people around you, man. So I, mm. I wish you the best of luck when it comes to that type of shit. No, I appreciate you, brother. You definitely, my family, we're culture. My family's mixed with black, Mexican, and, you know, I'm, I'm always in a car with somebody. My wife is black. My children are black. So it's, it's I've, I've experienced this so much. And because I've always experienced, that's why I've added it to the show. And I'm going to uh, try and run through this impulse Q&A because there's a couple of questions I really want to hear an answer from you from. But yeah. so I'm going to run through this. It's called impulse Q&A. You don't like the question. It's all good. Say pass. But I just want to have you answer three questions. Are you okay. ready? Yes, sir. Super Bowl World Series. What would you rename the NBA Basketball Championship? The Michael Jordan Classic. Whew. <laughs> Shout out, MJ. That's, a, that's right. That's right. Question number two. 
if you were on a 10 hour plane, I mean, if you're on a plane for 10 hours, where are you going? Who are you with? What's the conversations like? Ooh, I am going somewhere in Europe. I am with my, with my fiance, man. That's my best friend. And the conversations mm. is about our future and how we gonna take over the world and rule the world. That's a lot of time in the air. We've done that before, actually. Power couples. I love it. I love it. Just influence. Influence us. Influence us. Sure. Question number three. What is one thing that you wish was automated? Ooh. Oh, automated. Uh, damn, that's a good question. One thing I wish was automated. Oh, um, I wish I could just press a button and my dinner would be made. <laughs> I wish meals i just like i ain't got to prepare i just press a button like i want some i want some baked chicken and some 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 cabbage press a button it's right there and it's cooked properly man you're trying to have that back to the future where the the refrigerator connects to the microwave and then boom yep i want the jets and shit i mean the jets has been around for a long time when that's gonna happen come on we got flying cars and shit can we get some automated food that tastes good with some seasoning i'm saying Come on, come on. Y'all can listen to our phone calls and all this other shit, but y'all can't give us quick service. I mean, quick food? Y'all preach. You know, I got a bonus question. What's something you love, but you, or what's something you hate, but you wish you loved? Oh, something I hate, but I wish. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't really hate a lot of stuff, man. One thing I hate, but I wish I loved. I wish, you know, I hate driving, but I wish I, 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 I wish I did love to drive. Cause I would, I would go more places. I would see more things, but I just can't be in a car for that long period of time. And I fly everywhere, but you know, dealing with the airport and all that type of stuff. So I wish I enjoyed driving, but I hate it. Cause the only reason if, if I drove, then I would drive to and see things that I've never seen before. That's right. That's right. No, I love driving, but I, I understand your, your problem. Just my dad, he raced cars and uh, he had a taxi company in LA called mm -hmm. Valley Cab. And he was a, he owned the company and drove the taxis himself. So, and it, it, it monopolized LA like crazy stuff. So it's like driving Zimmy. So I understand. Now, if you notice uh, my show, it's unique. It's different. They, uh, I got a couple of segments cause those guys got segments, but I try not to do anything like those guys. And so on that same energy and staying outside the box, you know, my viewers knows I'm gonna hit you with this. You got any questions for me? Yeah, man. How many people think you black? I go through that all the time, bro. And what's crazy is like when people know I'm white and like my wife, she works at a, a, a Christian school, a private Christian school. And you know, it's majority black. And so when I'm around people, they don't know that that's my wife. And sometimes I face racism because I'm white and you know, you get, invited to things and they're like what, what's this white boy doing here and you oh. know so you know it's 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 there is a battle of hit and miss because sometimes it's like okay i know he ain't white white but what is he and <laughs> i go through that and like you know i just accept it i don't i don't really see it as that like i come from the struggle i come, like i represent the culture because the culture is really what allowed me to become who i am and you know it's it's been a you know a medicine if you want if you want to go ahead and say it's therapy for me the, just you know seeing people overcome and go through the same things i go through and still keep a smile on their face well can i tell you something my brother let me tell you something man because you know I, I enjoy talking to you when you came on my show and i enjoy talking to you here i'm a person that believes in being around people with good energy i feel your energy i've never met you in person but i feel your energy 
And I'm going to say it like this. I wish more people were like you, really. I really wish they had your energy. I wish they had your thought process. I wish they had your background and what you've been able to overcome and how you transformed yourself. I always say it ain't about the transgressions, it's about the transformation. That means the most to me, right? So loving your family, the way you big up your wife, and the fact that you are ambiguous in a sense. I wish everybody woke up tomorrow looking just like you. I swear to God, man, because then, you know, we still find some kind of way to discriminate in a sense. Be like, oh, his haircut's the wrong way, or his eyes are a different color, whatever, or he's wearing a beard, or he's, he's, he's barefaced, or whatever. So we find some kind of way. But if it's ambiguous, then we maybe can get over some of the hate when it comes to race in this country, man. So, you know, I, I, wish, there, I wish more people could be like Zalo, bro. I'm gonna be honest with you. Thank you, Mike. Now you got me goosebumps, bro. Wow. Man, on that note, I gotta close out because I, I don't wanna get bashed in this moment. It's Contrast of Cut, it's season four. It's the big premiere. Man, big shout outs to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. I wouldn't be able to do incredibly dope shit like interview Mike Hill and talk about his history and dig into more than just the book, but to the person that that represents the book, Open Mike. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate your wife, Beyonce, coming on and, and saying hello. That that was an, an amazing thing because that was not in the script. No, it wasn't in the script. You know, I still haven't break my teeth yet. Somebody had my teeth. <laughs> you, man. Thank you, thank you. Let me go ahead and grab my water. Cheers to you. Yeah, cheers, man. Enjoy. I appreciate you, Z. Yes, blessings. It's contrast uncut. It's a wrap. Right there, there you go. Another episode of Contrast Uncut. Make sure if you enjoyed it, you leave a comment below. You hit some like buttons. You hit some uh, subscribe. You go ahead and hit share if you want to. Say something nice or say something you don't want to say at all. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Comment below. Did, did.